If you have your Bibles, would you take them and open them to Luke chapter 23? Dr. Luke is guiding us minute by minute through the events of Good Friday. Last week, Michael picked up verse 26 to 32 in chapter 23 and showed us that Jesus is literally walking to his crucifixion. He's, he, he's on that path to his death. He's going to Golgotha, which means place of the skull, and that's where they crucified criminals outside the city walls. He's been illegally tried, beaten, abused. He is, if we can say it this way, he's walking towards his electric chair. As he goes, there are mourners, women, some probably professional, they, this, culturally it's what they do, and they're, they're beating their breasts, they're grieving this loss, this man who dies. And there's really no reason for us to question their sincerity. It's culturally appropriate, and certainly many were sad. But what, what kind of undoes us is not you know, the beating of their breasts and their grieving, it's Jesus turning to them and warning them. And it's the warning that he gives that kind of just, what in the world was that? Michael said last week, it is the greatest warning that Jesus ever gave. He turns, they're, they're moaning, he turns to them and he says, your weeping is misdirected. Don't cry for me, cry for yourselves. And what did he mean? Well, again, Michael said, what he meant was there's a future judgment coming that will be so severe, people would wish for rocks to crush them to death rather than endure this judgment. It would be so bad that what is normally a great blessing, children, will actually be a curse. Why? Because your grief will be multiplied if you stand in that judgment yourself and your children. What's the judgment? It's to stand before a holy God and give an account for what you did with his son, Jesus Christ. It's worse than death if you have not placed your faith, if you've not trusted in Jesus, that, that he lived that perfect life that you couldn't, that he bore your penalty for sin and mine, that he died on a cross, was buried and raised again. If you've not done that, then when you stand before God, you will wish that rocks would have fallen upon you rather than endure that judgment. And as Michael said, and the Bible teaches, you will spend an eternity separate from God. And I don't even know how this, I don't even know how to put this into words, but just this, the wrath of a holy God that must be poured out on sin, that sin deserves, will be poured out on you forever. It is the severest warning that Jesus ever gave. We don't know what these weeping women did, but I want to suggest that there was someone else on the road that actually heard the warning and responded, and though he's been dead for some 2,000 years, I think his actions still speak to us today. If you've got your Bible open to Luke 23, look at verse 26, just verse 26. When they led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, coming in from the country and placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. Cyrene is a town in northern Africa. It's almost a thousand miles from there to Jerusalem. Uh, it's where Tripoli is now, right in that area. 
Um, it seems that this man, Simon, we don't know if he's a Jew or Greek, but we do know that Cyrene had a large Jewish population. They had their own synagogue over there in North Africa. It seems that he came to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Um, there was probably no, you know, no room in the inn. There's probably no room in the city. So swollen with you know, those who were coming that he stayed outside the city. And on this Good Friday morning, he's coming into the city to celebrate Passover. Luke says they seized him, the soldiers seized him and placed on him the cross to carry. Remember, it's just the cross beam, right? It's just the beam that he's carrying. The vertical part awaits them up on the hill. Uh, They seized him. It's this Roman principle called Angaria, and it's a law that absolutely chafed every Jew under their oppression. And by law, uh, the government could grab you, literally could take you and say, you need to carry this in in, in means of commerce and goods. They could make you carry stuff. I mean, it'd be literally like, I got groceries to take home from Publix, and I say, come here, come here, come here, you carry my stuff home, you know. They could do that to anyone. It it makes sense of Jesus when he said, if someone makes you walk a mile, walk two, because that stuff happened. I mean, it 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 was commonplace. And that's what happened here to Simon. Michael argued last week, it was just one sentence he said, where he argued that Simon the Cyrenian was the first person to actually live out Jesus's command to pick up his cross and follow him. And I want to build on that. All three synoptic gospels, synoptic meaning Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of those, record Jesus saying these words, just slight variation, but all three, Jesus said it and they recorded it. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. All three synoptics include Simon the Sereni. And so we're going to hit the pause button on our journey through Good Friday. We're just going to pause today for a few moments and spend some time looking at this, quite frankly, minor character. You know, we don't talk about Simon a lot, do we? Uh, We're going to look at this minor character because I want to suggest that he has some major, major lessons to teach us about faith, about following Christ, and about being a Disciple. Now, to do this, we need to flip back in Luke's gospel because we'll take where Luke records Jesus' words about discipleship. Go back to Luke chapter 9. Would you do that? Flip all the way back to Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And if you were here, last, I think it was last June, it was over a year ago, we were in Luke 9, and I actually taught this section in, 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 the, in the scripture. And, but rather than exegete the passage, I don't know if you remember this, I used the passage to basically show you how to study the Bible. I showed you how I study and prepare even a message and observation, interpretation, application, correlation. I showed you notes, I, I, you know, my handwriting, how I write in the passage, etc. And then we talked about some, some application out of that. I didn't, I didn't really exegete the passage then. I'm not going to fully do it now, but I do want to come back to this and take a few moments and go, verse 23, what, what's going on here and what does this mean? Now, to do that, I, I want us to keep us in the context itself. Peter has just made his wonderful proclamation. You're the Christ. You're the son of God. And it's like, yes. I want you to notice what context we're in. After saying that, notice what Jesus says in verse 22 of chapter 9. 
He said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. You notice right after they make that proclamation, Jesus says what we've just been studying. This is what we're studying. You know, we're now at chapter 23 and it's Good Friday and verse 22 is happening. They didn't get it. And then he describes in verse 23 what I'm suggesting, and Michael said, is what chapter 23, verse 26, Simon actually does. Notice verse 23 in chapter 9. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It's three commands, three commands. And I just want to say, what does that mean, Jesus? And after understanding what it means, I want to say to us, myself included, oh, like, what does that mean for me? What, is that, what, is that, what does that mean for me right now, today? Let's take all three, okay? First one. Uh, he must deny himself. Deny yourself. What does it mean? I'm going to take a bit of an aside, and, uh, but I want to start here. What it, what it doesn't mean. To deny yourself, um, it's, it's not about self-discipline, okay? I want you to know it's not, I'm not going to eat that cookie. You know, it's, this is not what we're talking about. It does not mean denying your essence. Lord, what do you mean by this? It does not mean denying your personality. It does not mean denying who you are, how he's made you. Can I say it this way? Your unique personhood. Now, I want to digress just for a moment, and this will, some, this will hit, some, this may, may not connect, but can I say this? It was not till I was older, can I say this, in my mid-40s, when I began to understand what this meant and what it didn't mean. And when I say, when he says deny yourself, it doesn't mean you deny your personhood. I just got to tell you, I spent most of my Christian life thinking that when Jesus said that and Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live as Christ. I, for whatever reasons, I mean, shame, you know, whatever, I took that to mean I need to get rid of Lloyd. I'm just telling you, it was like, okay, I need to get rid of who I am and let Jesus be everything. That's not what this is saying. See, this is, this is saying that we, 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 I'll talk about what deny means in a moment, but we disassociate with that part of us that's fallen. That part of us that's bent on sin. Uh, that, that, that part of us that is always anti-God. It's, it's that which we deny. Not who you are. Not you as a unique person made in the image of God. There's only one of you in the universe. Deny means to completely disown. It means to totally separate from someone or something. It's the same word that Jesus used when he said, you know, Peter, you're going to deny me. And what did, what happened? What did Peter do? Hey, you're with, I don't even know the guy, right? Oh, wait a minute. You've got an accent. I have nothing to do with him. He denied Jesus. 
So to deny yourself is to disown or, or repute allegiance. Now here, this is so careful to that part of you, okay, that is absolutely bent on rebellion. I mean, it's, it's been there since conception. It's, it's our fallenness, our, our, our depravity that resists God in his ways. That, that part of us that is utterly self-focused that just says, no one's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to rule my own life. It's self-serving. It's disowning that. And the Bible calls that the flesh, had a chance to, to be in Arizona recently and, and, and play some golf out there. It's just gorgeous, beautiful. We played on a course, one course called Wikipa, which is an Indian name for four peaks. And so you know, you're in the valley and there's these mountains out here and there's the four peaks. And they tell you, you always got to know where the four peaks are. Uh, because when you're golfing, and, and I think everyone knows en- enough about golf, you know, you get your ball on the green and you're putting your ball and your ball bends or turns whichever way the, the green is leaning. And so they said, now listen, when, you, when you've got, uh, your ball looks like it's going to break this way. I mean, it's just, everything's leaning like this. You got to look over. And if the four peaks are over here, it ain't going toward the four peaks, even though it feels like it. It's going to go straight or it's going to go the other way because everything goes away from that because the four peaks shape the geography of the valley. Can't change it. It's just the way it is. That's the fallen flesh. In you, there's this geography in us that's just bent away from God. Deny it. Here's the problem. I may tell the flesh, I'm through with you. But it's never through with me. You experience that? It's never through with me. Not this side of heaven. It's actually more serious than that, if I can put it this way. The flesh is so thoroughly warped by sin, it cannot be reformed. What? I thought, I thought being a Christian means you fix the flesh. I'm sorry, the flesh cannot be reformed. Can't be fixed. Well, there's some logic in this message. I need, I'm trying to, I'll try and connect as we go. If it can't be reformed, and wait a minute, and I can't get rid of it, so to speak, as long as I'm living in this body. And again, I'm not talking about this flesh. I'm talking about the biblical principle of the, that part of us that is bent from, away from God. Um, okay, okay, wait a minute. I can't get rid of it, so how does this help me to say I'm separate from you? Do you feel that tension? How's this work? Well, in the same breath, Jesus says, deny yourself and take up your cross. Now, bearing a cross, it's going to mean, it does mean rejection and hardship and all these things. But I want to, I think there's a reason Jesus says these together that I want to connect. What does it mean to take up your cross daily? Let me start here. Let me say what it doesn't mean. Um, your cross is not a hardship. Your cross is not a difficulty you are living with, a trial you are weathering. That's not a cross. Paul didn't call, you know, his eyes were hurting and whatever was going on with his eyes. He didn't say, this is my cross to bear. No, that's not a cross. It's not the money you don't have. It's not the job you hate and can't get out of. It's not a hard marriage or relationship. It's not a handicap or an illness. You know what those things are? It's life. We all have it because we all live in fallen bodies on a fallen planet. That's life. 
Well, what's the cross then? Well, let's get in the disciples' mind. When he mentioned this word cross, remember we're pre the you know, crucifixion and everything. We're way back here in chapter nine. He says cross. Well, they would go, it's, a, it's an instrument of death because that's how they kill people. That's how the Romans would kill people. They, they would put a guilty person, a guilty person would carry the cross beam, as Michael said, you know, they'd carry it to the place where they're gonna get nailed to that thing and die. And it's just as common as you and I driving down the road. You can be on Franklin Road and you see a car with its lights on. It's bright sunshine. You go, why did that car have its lights on? All this oh, it's a hearse. And all the cars behind it have their lights on. Oh, it's a funeral. There's a dead body in there going to the cemetery. In this day, when they saw somebody carrying that beam and some soldiers walking, they went, there's a dead man going to the graveyard. The cross. Well, it's death. <laughs> well, that's dying. Now follow this, okay? Let me, let me connect these two. To deny yourself is to choose to have nothing to do with, with your flesh. I, I'm, I'm not connected to you, flesh. Here's the question. On what basis, on what grounds, you know, on, you know, where does the power come from, so to speak, for me to say, I'm not connected to you, flesh, such that I don't do what the flesh wants me to do. I have nothing to do. I deny you. Where, what's the basis of that? The cross. The cross is the basis of that. What does Paul say? Galatians 5.24. Now, those who belong to Christ, those who've trusted Christ, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul writes to the Romans, he says, even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. To take up your cross daily, I want to suggest, is to constantly reckon and consider, now here's, here's so important, to trust by faith. It's, this is all fa- it's all belief and faith. To trust that I'm dead to the flesh. That's not who I am. I'm separate from that by the cross where the flesh was crucified. I really want to look at this pornography. No, that's, I'm separate from that. Man, that guy hurt me. I'm going to hurt him. That's not who I am. That, that was crucified. I have gonna get, I'm going to get my way no matter what. No. I'm separate from the flesh by the cross. I believe it. I trust it. I act upon it. Jesus says a disciple will deny himself, take up his cross daily. And then he says, follow and follow me. What does it mean? To follow here means to take the same road as another. Um, He's on this road, I'm on this road. You you hear there are many roads that lead to heaven. No, there aren't. There's one and it's the one Jesus is on. And to follow him is to be on that road. But, but what does that road look like? Look again in your Bibles at verse 22. The son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Okay, Jesus says, walk with, walk with me, follow me, suffer. 
Come on, follow me, be rejected as you do. Follow me and die. To follow Jesus is to to literally go down a path that none of us would choose on our own. I mean, we we, we just, you know, that principle of self-preservation, we would never choose that path. It's actually to choose the path and then stay on the path even when everything within you is going, this is gonna kill you. No, you don't deserve this. This is so wrong. They shouldn't do it. It's to stay on that path. Why? Because Jesus is on the path because we're following him to suffer, be rejected and die. And we stay on the path. Oh, here's the payoff. Why do we stay on the path? Because of where it leads. Where does it lead? Where does it say it leads in verse 22? Suffer, rejection, death. What's the last word? Resurrection. Because it's the only path to life. You see, this is the only path you go down that you are resurrected such that when you're raised, you never die again. This is eternal life. This is life with God forever and ever and ever. There's no other road. I'm telling you, there's no other path by which we will be with God forever, forever other than the one that Jesus walked and we follow him down that path. It's not easy. It's excruciating. It's death. It's hard. He walked it. And we follow. Look at verse 24 in chapter 9. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he's the one who will save it. You go down this path to lose your life, to die, such that you're raised in Christ, never to die again. Now turn back to chapter 23. Okay, now we're where we, we've been in Good Friday. Chapter 23, verse 26, Simon the Cyrene picks up the cross and gets behind Jesus. Here's a man I want to suggest who denied himself, at least in this way. He was going, think of always, you know, when you're reading your passages or reading the Bible, think of the movement and geography even of the text itself. Think, you know, Simon's going in for a good reason. I'm going to celebrate Passover. He's going in, but he runs into Jesus, the cross, and how does, the, how does that little text end? He's not going the way he's, in other words, I'm going this way. Mm. No, he's going the way of Christ now. I think he denied himself. He literally, took up, he literally took the beam on his shoulders. I mean, we know that. He bore the instrument of death. And Luke alone adds the detail that he carried the cross behind Jesus. And, you know, I've got some other, so much I could say about Simon and you could think about, meditate on, but... What was, what was that like? Just put yourself in his shoes. Claw, crosses on him, bloody cross on him. I don't know how far it was. You know, it's not far to where they're crucified, but what was he looking at the whole time? Literally, what was Simon looking at? The back of Jesus. And we know it was not nice to look at. It was nasty. Cut up, bloody. He, he followed him all. What was going on in him? Followed him all that way. Now, if you're tracking with me, and I hope, I hope some of you are, I, I think you may have this thought in your mind. Okay, Lloyd, the soldiers made Simon do this. 
He didn't have a choice. How is that an example for us? Great question. Let me say it this way. I don't think Simon knew he was, I can't be for sure. I don't think Simon, you know, did this in his mind. He's going, I'm going to pick up the cross. I'm going to follow Jesus. I think he said this somewhere years, you know, months ago. I don't think that at all. I mean, we don't get that from the, this brief description, but I don't think it diminishes him as an example for this reason. Again, this is, track with me on this. What he did, no one can do. Can't do it. Here's what I mean. That unless someone has been you know, born again, unless someone has trusted in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, unless someone is therefore indwelt by the Spirit of God supernaturally, given a new heart, new life, a new creature in Christ, unless that has happened, no one willingly is going to pick up the death march and die to self. Can't do it. And so what I suggest is that this is, you know, what's happening in Simon is pre-Christ death and resurrection, pre the book of Acts. Okay, it's pre that. And so, you know, God in his providence, sovereignty, yeah, literally made him do it. He's still an example. What I'm saying is that the very thing Christ commands, this is true everywhere, gang. Always keep this in mind. What he commands, he's got to fulfill. <laughs> So that then when he lives in us, he reproduces that in us. We can't do it. We can't do what he did. That's why he sent the spirit to indwell us. Now that's Simon. If this is the cross, death, resurrection, this is Simon pre that. Ooh, ooh, wait a minute. We live on this side of it. Whoa, we live on. Oh, so yeah. Okay, Simon didn't have a choice in it. He was made to do it. But you and me, we do get to choose, don't we? Trust Christ, the Spirit of God. We can. I, I'm I can say that's not that's flesh that has no power over me because I can choose. I'm taking the cross to hours earlier. Okay, from this event, Mark records this. Peter. Okay, it's Peter's. I'll quote Peter. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. You know. And then Mark records this, quote, and they all were saying the same thing, end quote. I, far be it from me to hammer the disciples, man. You know, not, I'm not saying that at all, but I am. I think it's worth going. They were all in. They were all in. I'm not, they're not going to desert you. We're with you. And then in this moment on the Via Dolorosa, on the way of grief, when he's doing what he said he would do and he's going to die, where are they? Where are they? Uh, you know, I'd been gone too. I'd have been gone. And so God brings this outsider, Simon, to carry that beam. And here's what, I, you know, putting ourselves over on this side of the resurrection with the disciples. I, I, again, this is sanctified imagination. I gotta believe that if the disciples had a do-over, I just want a do-over. I wanna suggest that they would have been fighting 
hiding. Let me carry it. Because they know what it means. I think they would have come and said, no, no, let me do it. Let me have the beam. And they would have thrown it on. Someone in the bystanders would have said, hey, you can't, you can't celebrate Passover now. You're contaminated by the blood. Oh my gosh. Do you think, what would they have said? Are you kidding me? This blood cleanses me from all sin. It fulfills the Passover forever. I just wonder if, and again, I'm, I'm making this up, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying they would have done that, but I want to suggest they may have. What will we do? Because we can. We can choose to deny ourselves. We can choose to take the, because it was crucified and I'm crucified with Christ. And would we go willingly? We can deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. We can because he's done it. And so we can only do it through him. Will we? Would you consider that? Just, just for a moment, consider it. Will we? Today, wherever you're at, right now. Would you consider that as our so what this morning? If you and Heather want to come out, uh, we're going to actually, actually conclude singing a song here in a moment. I want you to think about maybe one last thing here. When Mark records this event, okay, we're studying in Luke, but when Mark records the event, he introduces us to Simon the Cyrenian like this, Mark 15, 21. They pressed into service a bypasser coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. How about that? Now, when Mark wrote his gospel, he's writing to, to, to Roman Christians. He's writing to, the, you know, that church made up in that way. And it's a good chance that Simon's dead. But when Mark writes his gospel, when he mentions Simon of Cyrene, he, he says to that church, so to speak, you know, Alexander and Rufus's daddy. Now, why would he mention these boys? Unless everyone in that church, everyone who's going to read that, knew them. How would the people in that church know them, but that mm, they're leaders in the church, maybe? Simon's been dead for 2,000 years, but could it be that that day when he carried that cross and he never got over it and he led his boys to faith and they led in that community of faith? It's a day that changed his life forever and I'll tell you, all change like that begins with the cross. The cross. 
I want you to stand. Would you please stand and we'll sing this. Boy, it's like an oxymoron. We're going to sing about a wonderful cross. And only we can. Because only we know why it's wonderful. <laughs>